Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer Podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. Season 2 of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer Podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Standard and Strange, where the clothes and the people are anything but ordinary, and the motto is own fewer, better things. All right, Albert, I am super excited for our show today. Um, it's a cold and dreary day. We are inside just hanging out, but uh, just wanted to check in with you and see how Upstate's doing. You're you're on a day off, so days off are blessed things. It's, yes, uh, you, they are. You get that little bit of perspective. I've actually had a really crazy busy week. It's been just like every other week during uh, during these crazy times. You know, there's surprise horrors and surprise beautiful things that happen. And uh, you just take the ride. You just take the ride each and every day. Just when you think you're going completely off the rails, some unexpected positive thing happens and you're like, man, that, that was nice. So I really, no, no, no complaints. Uh, we're get cranking into the full holiday season now. We've got um, a couple of last shows before the end of the year. We're going to try to do our end of the year uh, ra- recap, have, have some folks come on and talk about this crazy year that we've just had. But we have a couple of uh, guests coming up. Uh, our guest today, uh, who you'll introduce in a moment, is actually not someone I know well. So this will be kind of one of those get-to-know-you deep dives. And uh, then we'll have uh, uh, Rashad Little coming uh, next, uh, who we talked to earlier in the year. And uh, uh, hopefully our return of Mike Loria and and Liz is uh, They'll, they'll come on, hopefully, to talk a little bit about resolutions. We've been mm-hmm. talking about that as a show. <laughs> um, and uh, that'll be it. That'll be 2020 will be on the books. Uh, the year that was. <laughs> yeah, Howard, uh, the year that was. I, I can't help but uh, crack up a little bit at that because we're all going to have stories about how we did 2020 and what we all went through. It's something that we all share uh, across the world. And we're all going to be asking, how did you do 2020? You know, we all have our, our own stories, you know, you know, US, you know, 9-11 comes to mind. But, uh, you know, how did we do this? How did we get through it? It's, it's going to be a funny story to tell in the future. But um, for this year, I am super happy because we did a full year of shows. It's been a wild ride. And you know what, Albert? I'm just super happy to continue doing shows with you, man. It's a whole lot of fun. So thank you. Oh, my God. I look forward to this time. I'm like, I, 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 I'm just going to admit it. I lied all day long. Why I couldn't have meetings this, at, this afternoon at 4 o'clock? I'm like, I'm really sorry. I've got something scheduled. I cannot possibly book this. So if you're just happy to be one of my clients, sorry I lied to you. Um, okay. So why don't, you, why don't you introduce our guest with the official bio? Uh, and then we'll, I'll tell you a little bit about what caught my eye about, about him and why I thought he'd be a great guest. Ivan Martinez was born in Patterson, New Jersey, to parents who are both immigrants from Mexico. His family briefly traveled home, but ultimately returned to the States and settled in St. Paul, Minnesota. Ivan joined the Army at age 18 and served overseas in Iraq. Ivan has a master's degree in public administration. He is married with a one-year-old child. Ivan has been blogging about menswear for the past three years and recently began his journey as a clothier of custom suiting. I love teaching men how to dress better, he says, because when someone dresses well, it helps them feel their best. Ivan, thank you so much for coming on. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, Adam, if you would be uh, the intro guy for anything that I want to have in the future, I would love that. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to have you read my bio. Uh, anytime that I'm 
anywhere. <laughs> so. Albert says, I, I never, I never thought I had a good voice until Albert's like, dude, go for it, man. Dude, you so, got it. All right. You got it. Albert <laughs> has an ear for like music and he has an ear for uh, <laughs> everything else too. Well, thank, thank you for no- noticing um, what I, what I do for a living, which is, is promote music. It's amazing. We kind of, we're all so busy. We kind of hear a lot of information and then we kind of gloss over it really, really fast. And then people ask you the same question 20 times. So you and I have only talked really once yeah. and you remembered that I'm a music guy. So thank you for paying attention. That's a beautiful thing. But I agree, Adam, uh, when I first, uh, the first episode went up, I was like, they're going to yank me off the air with this gravelly New York. <laughs> I'm not, like Adam's like Mr. Smooth. I was feeling so inferior at that moment. But every once in a while, I get a fan who writes to me and says, I like that gravelly voice. It's so <laughs> like, all right, I'll take it. Um, anyway, Adam, I just want to tell you and welcome, Ivan. Thank you for joining us from Thank you. Uh, usually cold at this time of year, snowy Minnesota, you said in your Minna- post today. Minnesota. Yes. Minnesota. Lucky, um, lucky enough. I uh, basically was uh, flipping through, um, you know, just looking at Instagram stuff and I saw a bunch of stories and I saw um, Ivan had uh, one of those uh, uh, extended videos. What do they call them? The five, the longer ones, not the one minute ones that go in your feed, but the longer yeah. ones. Oh, yeah, the like reels. A- yeah, the reels. It was like a reel or one te- of the TV, IGTV. IGTV, things. yeah. Yep. And he was introducing himself. And, you know, I always saw his page and we like occasionally liked each other's uh, clothes, but we never, never really uh, had many exchanges. But when he was um, talking um, and he basically made this video to say, here's who I am. And I, I just was caught by the bio. I just love that he was uh, the first generation, like he was first generation American. Um, which I thought was already interesting, uh, that he served in the military, um, served in Iraq. I don't, I've actually not talked to anybody who served in Iraq, which I thought, wow, that's cool. We could you know, actually hear a little bit about somebody who was there. Uh, and then he was telling just a little bit about a, a personal story, some, some issues he was having um, uh, with, with his, uh, his eye. He was having troubles with, with his eyesight in one of his eyes. And I was like, wow, I mean, I want to I see, like, how are these things related in some way what are the story i just love that he wanted to tell us his story in his in his feed so that was really it i just thought i was curious and then sent him a dm and asked him if he'd be interested in in joining us and he said yes <laughs> thanks so I, at first um i've been when you when you heard about the topic of of the podcast male vulnerability did you have an initial reaction like oh man good fit for me or like what are these guys? Hi. Like, what was your reaction <laughs> when we invited you on? Did you, did you think it was an obvious, obvious place for you to talk about yourself? Yeah. Well, I'd say like not an obvious place. I think that most of the time people will see me and be like, oh, he's usually, or most of the time you probably want to be speaking on more style uh, platforms or people that talk more about style than it is to talk about like vulnerability or men's vulnerability as that just because you know, we, we're still in an age where guys can't talk about being vulnerable at all, but, um, I've always liked to share my experiences with others as far as like where I've been, how far I've come and then exactly how much, um, you know, uh, when I think of like vulnerability, I think that, um, my most vulnerable times, 
I've been able to resolve them all through like therapy or maybe with like uh, my significant other, just talking through it with somebody else. Uh, doesn't have to be any, anybody, any professional person, just as long as I get it out. Sometimes that's the best way to do it. So when you asked me to get on this for like vulnerable things, I thought this is just a good chance to maybe change uh, what I talk about instead of talking about style, which is what I talk about 24 seven, literally eat, breathe and live that. But now it's something that's a little bit different, something that I can just like open up to maybe like people that are listening to you guys and stuff that, you know, I don't get to really talk about on my IG and on my feed because you never know that. And now let's say post it like I do right now or that I had before. So it's just uh, something different. It's always a t- attention in people's uh, feeds of how much of their personal story to tell their people who absolutely will tell none of it and don't want to, they won't even show their face. And it's kind of like mystery is all what they're about. And there are some people or much more personal, you know, I love what Adam's doing. He's always his, his phrase of wisdom of the day, his quote of the day. I enjoy listening to them. Um, just, I want to start just in the present and then go back a little bit. Just tell us a little bit about being um, a, a clothier, uh, custom suiting. Are you doing that? from your own, like that's just your own shop? Are you connected to a shop and you advise and work with them? Or are you doing entirely freelance, giving guys advice on suits? Yeah, that's all me. Um, I just kind of get some insight the way that I actually learned uh, how to kind of measure people and you know posture and like stuff that you wouldn't really think about when getting a suit. Um, I worked at Indochino um, 2018 to 2019. I think it was like about a year and a half. And then I got furloughed when the pandemic hit. Um, I still had a full-time job, so it was just my part-time job. So then once I got into um, into that realm, because I was always into suits, I was always into style. But once you get into the nitty-gritty details and stuff like that, you start seeing the art of like what you know suiting is and stuff. And I was like, this is actually really cool. And I feel like and throughout the pandemic, I was just like, I'm doing... You know, I have my blog, I have my YouTube, I have all these other platforms, but I still want to do something with suiting. And I was just like, I'm just going to take a stab at this. So then I started that, maybe not too long ago, maybe like about three months ago. Um, but I'm not connected to anybody. It's just solely me. I've been, you know, basically four months throughout the quarantine, I was just basically talking to people in China, talking to people throughout the U.S., trying to figure out how this thing worked. I talked to a few other guys that were also doing it just to kind of get a glimpse of like what I was getting myself into. And then finally once I had it, you know, who had a concept of it, then I was just like, okay, cool. I could put this into it. That would be more unique and just something more me. So um, that's how I got into like the clothier business, I guess. I've only yeah. I mean, it seems like cu- like custom made suits or something that really came of age for regular guys in recent years. I just suddenly was going out in my work as a concert promoter and, and lots of guys. I was like, oh, I like your suit. Oh, this is home custom made. My, I have some guy in Hong Kong who I talk to and he makes me my suits. So I was kind of, I, I've not been in a suit mode since I've not been going to a lot of concerts because of the pandemic. So um, I, I got close to trying, trying it out. But so this is relatively new part of what you've been doing. You've been blogging for the past three years and, and showing, off, showing off your stuff. Um, and, and so you said it's, it's kind of been side work that you're doing. Is it, are you still doing your other work now? What is, what is that other work? Is that, is that, 
Yes. We talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no worries. I, so I work full-time as a data analyst for a corporation. So that's what I do full-time. And then, you know, and then my side hustle is basically, you know, my blog, IG, YouTube. So. Got it. So now, now we'll go back. Um, (laughs) you're, you're, you're mentioned that you're, you know, you're, uh, born born in Patterson, New Jersey. Your parents are both from Mexico. What brought your parents to the United States? Um, and then suddenly they're in Minnesota. I know. It's actually a really funny story to like kind of tell because it's just, it's like, dude, how'd you land here? And it's just like, you're right. I don't know. But then once I asked like my folks and uh, so my dad got here first back in like the seventies, but he ended up in Chicago first. He had like a cousin there or something. And in Chicago, he was like, um, in Chicago, he actually got married and he had uh, my stepsister who's older than I am. And then once he, you know, he broke that off and didn't work out. And then he went back to Mexico. And then whereas he had like a huge crush on my mom and my mom like never paid this man any attention because my dad, you know, quote unquote, is a little alcoholic. Um, and he's a he's a very noble alcoholic. That's what my wife says. He's the most noble alcoholic you ever meet in your life. Like he's so chill. The man is always drinking, but he's so chill. He ne- he never see an outrage from my bed. But um, so he went back, and then he he like you know he married my mom, and then they came up to to the U.S. But they ended up in New Jersey because my uncle, uh, my mom's uh, brother was in Jersey and he's like, well, just come up here. You guys can stay with us. And then you guys could find, you know, an apartment or whatever. So I'm talking about like straight, like immigrant story. Like you had a bunch of kids in one apartment, stuff like that. And, um, once my parents were able to get enough money, they got a separate apartment. But after that, um, my mom, I think missed home or my dad, I think thought that he could do it where she could be in Mexico with, you know, us. It was like, two of us because I have two younger brothers, but it was just myself and my younger brother at that point. And she was, and he was like, well, you know, you can go back and then, um, you know, I'll, I'll take everything here, blah, blah. Okay. So she went back with us and, um, and she, I think we only lasted there a year and then she didn't like it anymore. Well, it's not that she didn't like it anymore, but she got so used to the culture here. And so used to like everything that was here that she was like, that I can't be here anymore. Like, and that's the issue. And that's a whole nother story to tell. Just like the way I feel about it too, because it's like, I'm not from here and I'm not from there, but I'm just this, I'm Mexican American, but I'm not from here and I'm not from there. So I think that's how she felt. So she ended up coming back and um, she was still illegal. So one of the things that I always try my mom and I always say that she's the strongest person I've ever in my life uh, next to my wife, but like she crossed twice. She crossed her brother twice. And, yeah. So, so she, and then she told me the story this about the second time, uh, she actually like, uh, did it in the back of a trailer. She like, you know, now trailers are so vetted that you can't do it anymore. But back in the day, they didn't vet them that much. So she was, she got in the back of a big ass trailer and she, uh, got hauled up to the U S now we're not getting her in potential trouble discussing <laughs> this on a podcast. Are we? <laughs> My mom is a legal resident of the United States. <laughs> I feel, I'm like, my God. I'm not, I'm not setting myself up to nothing. Um, so, 
so yeah, both, you know, thank God, you know, like, like I said, my dad was previously married before he married my mom. So then um, it was pretty much an easy, you know, path to citizenship there. And plus, I think back in like the 80s, I'm guessing it wasn't, you know, that hard of a They're different environment. And what brought them up to Minnesota? So they made it back to Jersey again. And then my godfather uh, moved here first. And then he told my dad, he's like, move out here. There's a bunch of work out here. It's better, blah, blah. And I don't know how much, how much better it is. I've never been back to Patterson, New Jersey. But um, if it is, then I guess that's how we ended up here. So my dad got work and that's, that's it. And that's, so they've been, they've, been, they've been living there since. And you, that's pretty much your hometown and where you've grown up. Yes. You went into the army. Like, tell us a little bit about that decision. Yeah, so I was, so I was in high school, and then in my high school they had a program called JROTC, and then um, I did that my junior and senior year. But then my senior year, a bunch of my friends were thinking about joining, and I was like, "Well, I'm not sure. I kind of like it. I kind of don't like it. I don't think this is for me." And I would talk over my parents, and you know, they're they're immigrants, so just like, and they're like, "No, there's no like, you shouldn't do that. That's." not a good idea. You know, they could send you to war. And I was just like, well, I think it's, you know, I, I just think it's a good idea and I might do it. Um, so when I turned 18, I ended up signing up and I always say that the, the recruiter got me super good because when he was going through everything, he's like, yeah, you know, you'll go to like, you know, basic and AIT and then you'll, you'll come back and uh, you won't even have to go to war. Like, you know, 9-11 is way behind us. This was like 2000 eight so you know we're we were already like drawing down and stuff so it's like there's no way you can go and this and that so i sign up i go to basic and ait as soon as i get to my unit they were like we're gonna get deployed next year i was like this is great (laughs) 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 like yeah cool let's do this so you know and then once i hit once i got that news i told my parents and then my mom like you know of course it's just like my baby and you know, started getting into the whole thing and like, I can't believe you did that and look at where you're going now. So, yeah. So, so given the fact that you didn't join up with like, oh my God, I'm dying to get into a battle. Were you kind of <laughs> freaking out? Like where, where was your brain at thinking, oh my God, I'm going to Iraq. Yeah. So I think that once you go to like basic and IT, you get instilled that kind of and i was and i was an infantryman so it's like when you're infantry you're literally trained like this is eat eat sleep and drink just army that's it eat sleep and drink uh bullets everything just that's all you um the enemy the enemy the enemy so once i i heard that i was going to go overseas i was shook at first but then afterwards i was just like this is no big deal this is just exactly what i've been trained to do and that's exactly what i've been like quote unquote like taught to do so um, at first it sucked. And then afterwards I kind of got just like into it. Once I was leaving, I got antsy. And then once I got there, just like, well, I'm here. I'm like there's nothing you could do to get away. So just pull through, just push through it. So how long were you actually in Iraq? I was there for nine months, nine months, but the deployment's a whole year. So, yeah. Man. So, Adam, did you, want, did you want to answer a question? At this point? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, uh, the, I, I'm imagining like the flight over or like, and then like the first day, like how do you eat your first meal? 
like knowing that like okay like the next year of my life is is bullets and combat like that's yeah. that's the the hard part for me i mean obviously you did it and and you made it yeah um, so you have that all behind you but like first day out man i just i just <laughs> feel it pumping in my chest already <laughs> yeah it was it wasn't once you get there once you get in country we actually landed in kuwait and then afterwards we started doing operations in iraq but once you get there you get like a week and a half maybe to acclimate quote unquote mm -hmm. acclimate because the weather just sucks it's just hot like all the time and then it's super cold at night because it's a desert and then um you know you got sandstorms and all that other stuff so you're on base for quite a bit and then afterwards you start getting onto your missions but the first time i went out um on like you know we were basically what our mission was was basically to get oil trucks from northern iraq down to the border into kuwait and the only reason why that was an operation was because um, the, you know, whoever, you know, I don't know if it was like civilians or terrorists, whatever, uh, they weren't letting the truck drivers or they would kidnap uh, truck drivers. So they would just Jeez. go up to the trucks and just pull them down. Because although Iraq is rich in oil, it's like they know where the oil is going. They're not stupid. So it's like if, you can, if we can't have it, then you can't have it either. So they'll just go ahead and do things like that. So we had to basically be security for them uh, from Northern Iraq. And it, it's like, it was like, I don't know, like 12 hours sometimes of like just nothing but being, and I was a gunner. So I was like on a 50 cal. I had the biggest gun and I was the shortest guy in my like, platoon, <laughs> which is actually pretty funny. Like I had a big old gun and I was like the shortest guy on soon. So that was fun. And I was up in the truck and, you know, just cracking energy drinks you know i would drink monsters i took uh, diet pills to stay you know because that has caffeine in it too um just all those things that you wouldn't take all in one period <laughs> i would take just to stay up and um it was it was just such an experience when i went up the first time i would look around and i was like some of these guys look like me <laughs> so I'm like, you know because it's just like you know we look so much alike and i thought it was super funny that someone looked like me but uh it was like you would see cars and once you're first going through iraq and they tell you and you hear all these stories and you, like you know before you go in like you think everything is going to happen all at once you know you got a car here and it's just sitting there it's just like oh my god this this might just blow up and just or keep looking on the sides of the road because you never know what's going to blow up. So lucky enough, we didn't hit, get hit by any IEDs. We didn't get hit, you know, with basically anything. We had a few like small arms fires, but that was it. And um, one of the things that I did see, because it didn't, it didn't actually happen to us. So I wouldn't say we got hit by an IED, but we were pulling up. Um, this was probably like the almost last um, trip that we did through Iraq but there was an Iraqi police truck and I guess the, the cop or whatever was trying to pull off an IED or trying to make one off of the truck. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if he like, you know, pulled the switch or something, but it blew up on him. So when it blew up on him, of course he, he was all over the place. So we pulled up because we were like the second ones on scene or something like that. And you automatically have to pull up. And I was on the lieutenant's truck, and that's why I had a 50 cal. But the lieutenant was like, we had to pull over. We had to stop. We had to figure out what's going on, blah, blah. And so I think one of my battle buddies actually did record it. 
I think the, one of the other guys that was in the truck, he was actually able to record it. But um, yeah, we were there for like an hour and I was up top of the gun. So I had the best view ever of this thing, like this dude just blowing up on the side of the road and splattered. It's like, and then it was funny because then the Iraqi police showed up and then they, they were like, hey, you guys got any body bags? And, you know, when you're in a truck, you have body bags and stuff just in case. So we gave them a body bag. And then uh, they started pulling this dude's limbs off the ground, just putting him into this bag. And I was like, wow. And like, be, <laughs> like you know, like I'm a, I'm a kid from like St. Paul, dude. Not, nothing, well, nothing up until like now to like Minneapolis riots had happened, you know. So you hardly ever get to see this stuff. Like people just blown up and just displaced. And so it just shook me for a little bit. And I think that I have a really good, way of just internalizing everything i just compartmentalize and i just leave it and i just let it sit and i don't and i just forget it's just like i forget i i know that it's there and like you know if i can like really concentrate on it I can still see the image of this dude just spread all over the, all over the, like the floor and stuff but it was it was surreal at first it was really surreal pulling out i just want to say for the audience at home like I wish I could capture Adam's facial <laughs> expressions as he's imagining the blown up body. He's, you just look like you were yeah. horrified by the idea of seeing a blown up human being, Adam. It's going through it is like an experience in itself, but yeah. like all like the aftershocks and like, you know, a lot of people saw that and like a lot of your, your team members were there and it's like, you know, were any of them like more affected? And is that like something that like they took home with them? Um, Cause it's, I mean, that's, that's where a lot of trauma comes from. It's just seeing horrific things like that. You know, I, I, it's not like I haven't seen a dead body before, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not something you really forget. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely, it's definitely something that you don't forget. And I think that you, you brought up a really good point. Yeah. sometimes like people can get trauma through that. And once, once those kinds of things happen, once you get back on base, we'll like discuss it. Well, we didn't even really discuss it. Uh, we just kind of briefly touched over it. And then they said, if you guys need to talk to somebody, just go to like the, you know, whatever, like the therapist on base or whatever. But you're, you got to think that you're in a group of nothing but dudes and it's nothing but testosterone and just a bunch of dudes that are hua and who is just like an army way of saying like, you know, you're, you're manly and like you're, you're like, you know, you're just, you know, bullets and everything around you is so manly that just like, I'm not going to no therapist. Like, who do I look like going to some ter like therapist? Like, so you did not go to a therapist after any, no. those experiences <laughs> while in the army. But just before, when we were introducing you, you mentioned going to a therapist. So mm -hmm. it was clearly something. What later on? Yeah, uh, that you became more comfortable with the idea of doing that. And what prompted yeah. you? Was it reacting in in after the fact to your experience in the army that later you were like, oh, that actually kind of rattled me more than I realized, and then. You went back to address it. What what brought you to that point of saying I should really talk to a therapist? Yeah, I think that thereafter, after that, after that happened, and I got back home and everything. I remember I was with uh, my brother while well, I was at home, and uh, my youngest brother had done something to a shirt, and I got pissed. I straight just like yelled at my brother for like literally no reason. It's such a small thing, but like I yelled at my brother. Um, for you know the dumb reason and um so he started crying and then 
uh, my mom would just like, you know, you got to chill out, you know, just chill. And then I would have episodes like that where I just go on a street rampage of just getting angry at, at little things or maybe like some other things that happened again with like my other brother that's a little older than my other brother. And um, so all these kinds of things were happening. And then um, I was just like, I'm just going to go see your therapist. So I ended up going to see your therapist and we talked about the whole experience. And later on, I would just continue to go and see her. And it was great. I mean, I just thought it was like the best thing ever. I could talk to somebody that understood it because I also found somebody that was like a holistic therapist that, you know, knew and worked with the veterans uh, before. So she kind of got it, right? It's not like it was something new to her to hear stories like that. So once that all happened, we talked about it and then uh, it was good. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I could say that I don't really outlash like that, not unless I could like super mad about something big, but I'm really poised. I'm really like, you know, it's like I can work through this. I don't have to outlash stuff like that. So was it uh, it's like just yelling and raising your voice or did you like ever get physical? Did you ever like want to pop your brother and, and give him, you know, punch him? I mean, how bad did it get? <laughs> no, no, I can, I can. Yeah. Just temper. Got... It was more of a temper thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I always, and I think that had something to do with just being in the military too, because you have it so structured. It, it's this way, this way, this way. And if you go outside the the realms of this square, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna yell because this is not the way it's supposed to be. And I was like acting drill sergeant like on a house or like whomever. It just so it wasn't good. It wasn't good. From the parallels that you see from like the army to civilian life, have you kind of like thought about how the the army teaches and like the way that those instructions are are drilled? Do you think that you know in tomorrow's army? potentially like a, a more understanding uh, command <laughs> would, would kind of foster a more open, you know, and sincere relationship? Or do you think that like, Hey, we're going to war, like this is combat. Like we need to be strict and we need to be aggressive. That's, that's a really fine line because I think that yeah. you can, you can be, you know, you, you can have a structure where it is more understanding and they, they do now they, they, they're super more understanding I know a few guys that I knew in school that were going to go off uh, to basic and AT and they'd come back and I'd ask them about, you know, their experiences and stuff. And it was way more chill, way more chill than before. So um, that they have relaxed, but I feel that maybe once they get into like deployment mode, then that's when they kind of get into more like, you know, this is serious. Uh, we're training, but this is very serious. Train as you fight, train as you fight. And then they continue to tell you that and ramp you up. So. I think that, you know, it's definitely quote unquote softened up uh, since I've been in, I think. What do you think are the most uh, important um, takeaways? Like as you look back at the time that you served, what, um, in general, did you feel that that was a good, a good use of your time and you got great things from it? Is it, uh, I'm just, I'm curious how it impacts your day-to-day -day life and what kind of, what are the biggest lessons you got from it, from your yeah. life? Yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest things that I have gotten with, gotten from it that is super positive is just my will to just continue to keep on with and just driving through anything. Just continue to plow through, just continue going, continue going. Um, also, not not needing so much sleep. <laughs> I have I have a one year old daughter, and I you know as I mentioned before when I got on here, it's like I 
I do YouTube, so I produce and edit my own videos. So Adam, like I completely get it when you have to edit stuff out. Like I have to edit all my own stuff too. So I'm up until like maybe midnight, 1130. Um, if I have like a cutoff date or something in specific, then I, I don't go to bed till it's done. And that's something that was very much inculcated into my head once I got into the army. You don't go to sleep until it's done. And another thing that they mentioned was like, um, you know, like they say, like, you know, you can sleep when you die. Um, and some people might say that that's a bad terminology, I guess, but I'm just like, I can't go to sleep until it's done. I just sit in bed and just like, I need to get this done. I need to get this done. So I get a lot of things done because of that kind of training and mentality that it gave me. And then also uh, not doing anything. Uh, so when we were in basic and AIT, or even like deployed or whatever, you can't just sit and do nothing in the army. You're doing something. You're cleaning your weapon. You are looking over the, you know, the army code. I can't remember what it's called. Like you're looking over the book, you're reading over stuff. You're doing something with your time. You're not just wasting your time. There's something to, you can do every single time or you can clean, right? So now it's like if I'm ever doing nothing, it's like I'm really resting and then I'm getting something done like right afterwards. Like I'm going to take this hour to just chill, but I know that once nine hits, my daughter's going to go to sleep and I am like full editing mode. I'm downstairs and I'm just editing for the rest of the night. So, so I love the idea that you're like really focused intensely on I'm going to relax right now and then I'm going to stop relaxing and go do something else. <laughs> yeah. It's very focused, I, which I think, in a, in a way, it's, I, I had that experience last night of just telling myself in advance that I was giving myself the night off. Rather than just like, like drift into the night off, I was like, five o'clock, turning off the work computer, I'm going to pour myself a drink and cut loose. The level of partying and the pleasure from it were so much better that I had prepared my brain for it. I was allowed to do that thing. It was really, it was really, really fun last night. So, so. When you uh, watch a movie on TV or, or series and you see army life portrayed, I'm just wondering, what's, is there a film that you've seen like, oh, that actually captures a lot of it or is there really nothing like it and it's all what you see in a movie is nothing like what you experienced? Obviously, everybody's got their own army experience and they all vary, but I'm just curious what, what, if you've I had think, that. I think the one that I could relate to the most was uh, that one movie. I can't remember the name of it, but... Uh, the sniper guy. He's like mm. a marine sniper. He goes, comes back, and then he has like a huge like fall off with like, you know, and he's also angry most of the time. He also has to go to a therapist. I can't remember. Ah, I can't remember the name of the movie. It, it's America. It's Bradley Cooper, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. American yeah, Sniper. Yeah, I, yeah. 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 He's also a stylish dude, and you're probably like, I'm kind of <laughs> like Bradley Cooper. Uh, if you're listening, Bradley, yes, you're welcome on the show anytime. <laughs> anytime, uh, anytime. I remember that movie. Yeah, that's a good movie. Uh, it's American, I, American, American Sniper, Sniper, I think yeah. is what it's called. It is a really good movie. It's a powerful movie. It's very intense. It's like so much this coiled, this coiled uh, energy. Um, you know, Some of it's brought by our own what we bring to what we do. And then there's what's put on top of you from all the external pressures that are put on, on top of you. Um, and I'm wondering, do, have you had like an, in, like a, an ongoing, like every once in a while you'll have your moments and you'll be like, man, I'm, I thought I was beyond that anger that I'm feeling. And, or, uh, or you know, or do, does it sometimes come back where you're like, Oh shit, I'm kind of angry. And I'm, and it's, 
you know, flared up and I'm a little like realizing that this is still part of kind of in there? Or do you feel like you've kind of cured it somehow? I feel like <clears throat> I have cured it. And then um, sometimes I do have my moments of like, I do want to outlet and I have to just kind of just tone myself down. And it's happened before with like my wife. And then sometimes I'll get very impatient with my daughter too, because she's a one-year-old and she does whatever she wants. But it's like that, that, because again, uh, what is it? It's the loss of control for me that makes me mad. It's the loss of control because I can't do anything about it to control the situation. So I get mad about it. So that's one of the biggest things that I, you know, that I just need to really work on. And I work on it. I try to work on it every day. It's just like the loss of control. Like <clears throat> I know that I could stay up until like maybe two in the morning, but if this thing is not going to fall through, it's not going to fall through for you, dude. Like you got to stop. But I continue going because I think I can control that the inevitable right you, you think you control them but you can't so i i just have to sometimes just sit analyze and just like you know just chill dude just chill just it's not that big of a deal it's a big deal in the moment because you're all fired up but once you know you give yourself 10 minutes just like that's nothing so i've learned how to just work with it and work through it yeah speaking of you know loss of control i think everyone can relate to that um, and one thing uh, that you and I actually uh, relate a little bit on is like low vision and uh, loss of vision. Um, okay. Yeah. So when I heard that, I was like, that's something that, that I, you know, I've struggled with since I was like in fourth grade, you know, just my glasses have been getting thicker and thicker. And then they oh. have that new technology and I'm like, yes, a lot thinner now. But um, I mean, vision is something that, you know, you can't really control outside of a, you know, small amount of instances. And yeah. I know that, you know, my prescription has been getting stronger and stronger each year and stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's kind of tough because like, you know, I kind of have to wrestle in the back of my head. Like, you know, one day I'm, I may wake up and I'm just, you know, uh, officially blind. I'm like mm -hmm. legally blind. I have to legally wear my glasses and everything to like drive and stuff. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, wow, I didn't even know. I didn't even know that Adam, because it was a, it was a part, I was just looking at my, my mm -hmm. notes that we're going to, uh, you know, I, Ivan had talked about, like, I guess in his case, it's a specifically a retina. Yeah, a detached, the detached retina. retina yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, like, for me, it's like, you know, kind of in the back of my mind, like, you know, one day I just might wake up and I might be blind um, and I might not be able to see anymore. Um, so that's something, you know, obviously, like, I'm 32. I don't have to wrestle with it right now, but it's something I will eventually have to accept in my life, you know, barring any crazy technology or surgeries and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I don't know if I'm getting, you know, million dollar uh, retina surgeries or retina replacements. <laughs> uh, but yeah, is I mean, that's the same issue. Is it a retina issue? No, I mean, my eyes have just been degrading slowly through throughout my whole life. Um, so I'm hoping a little bit down the line, you know, I'll, I'll get like a surgery and that'll last like, you know, give me like another 10 years, you know, whenever it's, it's good. But yeah, it's just kind of kind of been something that's just been kind of a part of my life. But one of the things that, that, that I mentioned that video that made me caught my attention was, was Ivan talking about the challenges he was having from th this unex like you really, they've not identified what's actually, what actually caused the, the detach, the detached retina. Um, and you've had incidences back and forth. It seems like where you've had periods where it's got, where it's stable and then times where it's, you've had setbacks. And I know that you're, you're in the middle of, of, various treatments and whatever i guess my 
my question is how do you manage the stress of that like what is your is that the same sort of you've been taught to power through and it's like hey whatever they throw at me watch me i'm just gonna i'm just gonna get through it um tell, tell us a little bit about about that part of your your journey so just kind of give a backstory. So yeah, I, I completely feel your pain. And I'm like, when I wake up in the morning, yeah, sometimes I'm just like, dude, I might not, you know, I might wake up like the day that it actually happened. But I mean, like when my retina started detaching um, and it's, it's a super scary thought. Now that you bring it up, I, I get scared because it's just like, it's one of those things that you cannot control. So, uh, so I was in school at the time and I woke up one day and my eye just seemed to have like this little black ball on top. It was on my left eye. It was like just black. So I kept trying to rub it and see if like it was like a, I don't know, maybe something was in it. So I would just, I just kept rubbing it and I just kind of let it be for like a few days. And finally one day I woke up and I was like half, just like pretend nothing from like here up. It was just straight black. And I was just like, damn, this is bad. And I think, and I went, I came all the way home. I went to school like an hour and a half from St. Paul, Mankato. And I came all the way home. I saw my mom and I, was, and I didn't tell her anything. I just told her that I was going to go see the eye doctor because I, my mom, as soon as you tell her something, she goes frantic. So I just told her, I'm going to go up to the Target. I'm just going to get a quick eye exam and I'll be right back. And she was like, okay. So I went to the eye doctor and they were like, and then she starts looking in and she just looks at me. She's like, you need to go see a retina doctor, like ASAP. You need to get surgery like right now. And I was like, wow, it's that bad. And Which she's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. So then I start freaking out and I go home and I told my mom, I was just like, they gave me the number to this place and I had to go there like ASAP. So my mom went with me and, um, and then the, finally went to go see the doctor and all that stuff. And of course, you know, anybody who's had a retina detachment and is like under the age of 50 is like, well, what'd you do to yourself? You know, like, did you hit your head? Did you do this? So the doctor would ask me that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, dude, I don't know. It just happened. I don't know. I didn't get hit in the head, you know? And my wife still asked me too. We just like, did you get hit in the head in the army? And I was like, I always got hit in the head in the army. Like <laughs> it's just a consistent thing. You get hit yeah. all the time. Um, so I don't know, it could have been something like that, but the doctor kept asking. And then we asked the doctor, was like, what, well, you can look in, like, what does it seem like it is? And then he's like, well, I, I'm not sure it could be a variety of things. So up until this day, I still don't know the reason why it got detached. And so my left eye had to get surgery, but when they looked into my right eye, it also needed to get uh, surgery, but it wasn't that bad. So what they did was that same day they did uh, laser surgery on my right eye and they fixed that. So it's been stable ever since, but my left eye, I had to get retina surgery and uh, that was heavy. I, I've never had surgery ever in my life. I never broke a bone either. And then to have something like that happen, like it was just, I told my wife, I remember the time where the anesthesia kind of wore off and I could feel them scrape in the back of my eye. I was like, oh my god! And I could, I could feel it. And then they were like, and then I started like kind of shaking. And they were like, oh, you can feel it. And then I kind of shook my head, and they gave me more anesthesia. I passed out. But um, I went through it one time, and then I went back because they say you have to wait, or you go through like just going to see them consistently. But the third month is when they say like, 
okay, it's good, or okay, it's still detached. The third month came, and it was still detached. It kept attaching. So I had to go back through surgery. And once I went through it the second time, they were like, okay, it's good for now. And then uh, I'd say that I've been trying to avoid the eye doctor for a very long time. I, I think it had been a good, like, five years since I had been back to that same place because it just, every time I go in there, it just scares me. Because I never, nobody ever likes going to a doctor because nobody ever likes to be told the truth about themselves. Right? Like, dude, you're overweight. Dude, like, you know, <laughs> like, you got to lose some weight. It's like, I'm not going to go talk to a guy that's just going to tell me I'm overweight or whatever. So I went back and he's like, yeah, you're going to need surgery again. And the way it goes down and what I don't like about these guys um, to an extent, I mean, they're great doctors, don't get me wrong, but like their finance part, when you start scheduling all the surgery and all that, they're like, okay, so when do you want to get surgery? When do you want to have this done? It's like, well, dude, like, give me a second to think about it because they start setting everything up. And I'm just like, no, nah, like, we're not, we're not doing it this way, buddy. Like, no. And my wife was with me too. She's like, what the hell? And I was like, yeah, no, like, I'm not doing it. I was like, is it okay if we just hold up on this for a second? Like, just, and he's like, oh, yeah, sure. But they were ready to get me, like, you know, back into surgery. And um, it was going to be double whatever was paid before which is pretty spendy uh because i have like very bad cataract already because once they go in there it just comes up like with the retina detachment once you start digging in there your eye is like scarring so once it starts scarring that's what causes cataract and so that's exactly because my body i'm only 30 years old my body's gonna you know just start scarring super fast so that's exactly why it's building up so much cataract because I'm so young. So um, they were like, yeah, we need to have a cataract surgeon in the room and a retina surgeon and a retina surgeon in the room. And I'm like, you guys got me <laughs> up a wall right now. Like there's, there's just, and they don't tell you the exact number right away, but you oh, know, yeah. imagine one can imagine, you know, these guys aren't cheap. Like, you know, I hope your day, your day job, I hope has good help. <laughs> it does it does thank um, god yeah i know thank god but i feel bad for all like you know everybody that has to go through it and just kind of you know can't afford it but so so now we're gonna end up doing i'm gonna be in Colombia, and we're gonna go to a few doctors out there and just get like a second opinion on stuff and see what they say see uh if they have something different to say see what else could be done and uh i'm like you adam dude like i'm i'm like always looking for new information or like new technology. Like, can you replace a retina now? Like, you know, they, I was listening to Joe Rogan maybe a few months ago. He actually interviews a guy and he's like, yeah, like soon enough we'll be able to, you know, bring back uh, people that are blind, like bring them back sight and wow. uh, retina detachments. And then like that just sparked. And I was just like, dude, I got to like, you know, figure it. So I just kept kind of digging into that. But I hope that soon, you know, it, it can be done. Because it's just one of those things. Yeah. So I, I feel you, man. Uh, the the science and the digging into it. Um, I, I read up on that a lot, and uh, I don't know if I don't know if you, you you saw the experiment with the mice, but they were able to reverse the the eyesight um, yeah. and help them out in in the in the mice. So yep. you know, maybe in our lifetime, it, it's a thing, and it's something I kind of hold on to. Um, you know, we're not gonna have these uh, biotic eyes or something like that. <laughs> 
they're sure gonna fail me down the road um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i hope that like they're like oh yeah we're experimenting on people who have like a bionic eye or something it's just like i'm in yeah. like, I, mean, I have nothing to lose anyways <laughs> yeah throw me in so so do you have your day sort of your daily approach to managing your stress um anxiety whatever uh do you have like a real a, a real organized approach from your managing your mental health or do you kind of just feel like you're aware and you 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 do maintenance as needed is it what, what's your approach to it yeah i do maintenance as as needed but i try to do this thing now in the morning where i try to just give thanks for everything that i have like right away in the morning just try to give thanks like just for everything um and i feel like that just kind of brings in the day a little bit better and just is good for me. And then if I have any kind of stress, I just, it falls off. I, I'm not very like, it gets into me and I'm just stressed for the rest of the day. Like I just, it comes in and it falls out just as soon as it does. It's like, I try to find a solution to it and I try to get it done. So, uh, I mean, one of the biggest stress relievers is kind of like my side hustle, like IG and also I, I find a lot of joy, even like editing. I find a lot of joy in that. It's just my own solitude. It's just me, the computer. And I'm editing and um, same thing with like pictures, editing pictures, taking pictures is also fun for me. So all that stuff kind of like gives me a little bit more balance from like whatever I have, uh, whatever stress I have on me. So And you completely do it all on your own? Everything we see in your feed, all the videos, everything is completely done by you? The, the videos, yes. And then the pictures are taken by my younger brother who's been helping me. Um, and oh, good, good to have one of those around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I've had to teach him though. I've had to, because he doesn't know anything about photography. So I'm just like, we're shooting it this way. Just stand here. I'm going to do this. And you're just going to. So you're the, you're the director. I, I am the director. <laughs> I am the director. Or because, but, I mean, it really shows your feed has just got this very professional vibe to it. So I think that's, that's really cool. And it's also great to hear that you get joy from it because the worst is these people who are like stressing themselves out with Instagram. I'm like, if it stresses you out so much, why are you doing it? Unless you're making a living from it, why would you do an activity that causes you misery? They talk about it like it's like I just I'm I'm, I'm happy to hear you say it because I'm I'm the same way. For me, my goofy Instagram break is me not looking at my work email and working when I shouldn't be working. It's actually very diverting for me. Um, so, and I can see you've got your man cave there. You've got your lighting. I see you've got like actual lighting set up. I mean, it looks kind of fancy in there. And I see, I see hanger racks. So you got a rack of those old suits on that rack. No, they're all jackets, all of my jackets, because I can't fit them all in my, we have a spare bedroom and the spare bedroom closet is my closet. Oh, okay. <laughs> so those have... are not props. That's your actual wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is. Yeah, I know. I know. I have, I have a little bit of a problem, but, um, my yeah so my wife is just like there's no way we're gonna fit both mine and yours clothes in in our closet you have to like you know go downstairs and you have to put all your stuff down there which is good because then once i'm shooting like if i if i'm doing a video and i'm doing a few looks i don't have to like run upstairs at 10 p.m wake up my daughter while i'm changing and then come back downstairs so i just like do it all at once i don't disturb anybody so just be, you know, as we want, we're coming coming up on an hour. Just are there are there people, are there some other people that you've, you know, obviously you're you've got a close family and you've got your own family. Are there uh, people 
that have been, had a big influence on your life that you want to kind of give a shout out to? Who are some of the people? Were there anybody that's really inspired you, put some good ideas in your head that you want to give a little shout out to and tell us what they taught you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'd say, I'd say my wife has been a huge, like, one for me. Uh, she's, she's been like my, like my, she just holds me down. Like on the stuff that I just cannot, like, or I'm not good at, she's good at. So it's just like, she's like the rock that I need when I just can't do something or if I'm busy doing like my side hustle work or my work in general, she's holding it down with our daughter. So just like, that's, that's like just perfection. So shout out to my wife. Um, and then I'd say, I'd want to give a shout out to my dad and my dad doesn't even speak English, so he's not going to be able to understand, but I'll just tell it to him in Spanish later on. Uh, but I <laughs> definitely want, um, my dad, my dad was, a is a hardworking man. He's the hardest man that I've ever met in my life. Uh, he's worked, uh, to hold, you know, three young boys down. Um, and although he wasn't really like the guy that you could say like, Oh, he like, you know, threw like catch, you know, he threw baseballs and like, you know, we played soccer and everything. He wasn't, he wasn't that guy who was just tired from work all the time. And, you know, he always hustled and being a dad now, I just kind of feel that I want to give him even more thanks because he instilled the work ethic that I have as well. Next to like the military, I think my dad also gave me just a hard work ethic. My dad never, hardly ever takes a sick day. He never calls off, never calls off. The man would just go to work <laughs> just like every single day, freezing cold, 4 a.m. in the morning. That's my dad. And what, just, what kind of work does he do? My dad works at a place where they, where they have like uh, all of like the nurses, doctors, laundry, and he works the machines. So he basically just works there. You know, it's a He's labor be job. Super busy right now. My God. He yeah he is, and my mom was like freaking out on him and stuff because he wasn't he when he would get home he doesn't believe <laughs> he believes in the disease but he doesn't think it's as bad as people think it is so he doesn't wash his hands. And he doesn't oh, okay. change his clothes. No, my, dad, my dad, something else. So he would, he, at the beginning, my dad would get really mad at my mom. But then he kind of came into it afterwards because just like, my mom would be like, your, your son's like sometimes like end up coming here or like your like granddaughter will be around and you're not even clean, whatever. So he's kind of like, you know, coming around now. But before, you know, we were all social distancing and stuff, but he wasn't doing it. You made you made a slight little humorous joke about his love of the drink. Uh, did did is that I mean is that something he instilled in you? Is that like just part of the culture? I mean, you kind of were hinting like maybe he drinks too much, but he's not. My dad, no, my dad does. Oh yeah, my dad has an alcohol problem, and like you could ask anybody, like you, I could put my brothers on here and be like, yeah, dude, he has an alcohol problem. But like, it it is what it is. The man is like that. It's like. My mom is just like, we should take an Alcoholics Anonymous. And my dad's just like, take me where? And just, it's not, you know, he's going to live and be that way for the rest of his life. He, he's been like that for, you know, 60 years. So, so classic hard, hard drinking, hard working. Like he just, he's, yep. moved, he's, he's doing it. Yep. My dad, like, like I've said, like my dad's never took him to sick day. So he could be, you know, he could be drinking. And then afterwards you see him at work. So, so just in case he's made it through this entire uh, podcast that he can't understand, why don't you just say a little something to your dad in Spanish 
And uh, that'll be nice for him to tune in. He'll he'll hear you, you sign off with a, a little note to dad if you'd like. I'll, I'll tell him afterwards. I think I might see him before I go. But uh, te mando muchos saludos y agradezco todo lo que has hecho por mí, por mis hermanos y por mi familia. Eh, te quiero mucho. Y este, eres un gran papá y quiero que lo sepas. Y eres un gran trabajador y gracias por eh, darme ese ejemplo. Right on. <laughs> I, 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 got, I love you very much and you have a big heart, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I give him thanks for being like, you know, the father that he is and, uh, you know, and for being a great grandfather to like my daughter and stuff and just being a great person to my family too. So. Well, I do want to say something I've always thought of with parents. I'm very blessed with a, a really beautiful father-in-law. He's just an incredible, loving, warm human being. And I think it's important for people to get credit and uh, feel appreciated for doing things that are taken for granted. You know, uh, it's so easy to just be like, not really telling people like, did, have I told you lately what a great sibling you've been or a great mom or so it's really cool. And I have special admiration for good fathers. I just, there's something I've seen too many examples of not great fathers. So when I see a good father, I'm like, man, I really respect that. So that, mo that moved me that you wanted to, to thank him for, for being a good dad to you. Um, Adam, any any uh, closing thoughts? I'm I'm assuming we're about an hour now. So that's yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We're definitely about to, to wrap this up. And um, I mean, just thank you for number one for your service uh, for our country. <laughs> um, you know, that's uh, just thank you. Uh, that's that's all I can really say. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, uh, the struggle is real, and um, we we need to, like you said, attack it every day. And with, with gratitude in the morning, I think is a great way to start your day. Um, you know, Michael Chernow said that smile, get, just start with a smile and it, it all goes uphill from there. So, um, you know, I, I gotta say thank you for that. Uh, cause that's, that's just a great way to, to start your day off is with gratitude. And, um, you know, I just hope that, uh, you know, your eyes stay strong, man. And, uh, things, things are good. Uh, is there anything that you want to leave off saying here today? No, I just think that if, you know, that people, guys that listen to this podcast, I think that, you know, out of everything that I've said, I think the biggest thing to just kind of come away with is just um, not everything is as bad as you think it is. And, uh, you know, go to therapy. Just no matter what anybody says, just go to therapy. If, if, even if your friends are going to say whatever, just go to therapy. It is what it is. It'll help you. I'll help you be a better person for yourself and then for others too at the end of the day. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, this has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Blinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. And I'm Ivan Martinez. Thank you for listening. 